So welcome to the Do More Good podcast, season three. All good things come in threes, don't they, Kenny? Of course they do. Three musketeers, little pigs, triangles, your degree. <laughs> we should probably know what we're doing by now, right? You'd think so. There are times you have to step away from that and do the bigger, scarier, crunchier, harder work because it pays off in the end. Making sure that the senior people from that organisation get involved with the partnership. It's not scary. The worst thing that can happen is that someone can go, bloody hell, that was a bit of a cock up. Do I've had a few folk not from Scotland that have said to me, I didn't know you could do that with bagpipes. <laughs> I think the, the message is do more good. Yay! Hi and welcome to the Commissary Bar on Regent's Canal, just behind Holborn Studios. I am joined by Josh and Alfie from Open this week. No Kenneth, I'm afraid. Um, we are like narrow boats in the night for the next couple of episodes, throwing microphones to each other as we pass. But I'm with these guys because Open are one of the key sponsors for Pizza for Losers and Kenneth and I can't make it on Wednesday. So Alfie will be our roving reporter capturing the event for our listeners. But first things first, before we hand over the microphones, Alfie... What is your favourite failure? Well, I don't have a specific example, but it's more of a book of failures. <clears throat> and it's called The Last Lecture, and it's by a guy called Randy Posh, who is a lecturer at a... Well, he was a lecturer at university um, in America, and his book was about kind of his life journey and all the times that he'd failed at something. And one of the things that he really wanted to be was an Imagineer for Disney, and in his book, he kind of chronicles his journey of forever trying to break into Disney and never quite making the cut. And then eventually he, well, no spoilers, but it's a very good book. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then I'm going to ask the man who's, who claimed off air that he never makes any failures. Not once in my life. Thank you very much. <laughs> What's your favorite? Oh, well, I take that back. I fucked up. I've definitely fucked up. My favorite failure is one in my very, very early days of fundraising many, many moons ago. I nearly sent out probably about 100,000 Toyota warranty slips in an acquisition pack <laughs> down under in Australia. And it was the night before production was due to begin. Pack stacks were just being signed off only to discover that the boxes and boxes and boxes of stock in the mailing house were actually full of Toyota warranty slips. Yes. I forget how we fixed it. I'm sure I learned something. You got away with it. You, you, you moved here. It. Somehow you I got moved, away with yeah, it. Well, that's what I'm doing in You're, you're on the I'm, run. I'm <laughs> waiting for that to blow over. Did you learn uh, that Toyota warranty slips up increase response? Oh, you better believe they increase response. <laughs> Needless to say, we're still issuing cars to every successful gift. <laughs> they took it as a part of the thank you pack. Um, so, yeah, that is probably one of my early That's failures. a good one. That's what a strong one. What have I learned one. from that? I'm sure I've learned something around just checking your proofs. Yeah. Checking your pack stacks. Excellent. Yeah. All right. And obviously, you you guys don't make mistakes at Open. But no, um, never. What would you do if, if you know just tomorrow if, if something were to go wrong? How is what's the culture like at Open around mm. failure? I think it depends who did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Alfie stuffed anything up, I would come down on him like a mm. stack of bricks. Oh, I'd be you out. Believe you'd be out yeah. on my ass, out on your ass. Yeah. No. So there's a lot. There's a lot riding on on this podcast, really, because this, oh, yeah, this is potentially your new career. Mm. You'll never yeah, see yeah, us yeah. again. Um, no, I think at Open we've got a good sort of open di- open uh-huh. dialogue we like oh. to keep an open dialogue if um if anything does go wrong in my experience we're very quick to communicate about it and i think that is the most important thing just being open about what's happened and finding a solution together that is mm. going to fix the problem very rarely does anyone really lose their temper i would say no i think admit it as yeah. soon as possible yeah. come, come clean as soon it. as you come can clean yeah. Be apologetic and then just be really focused on how you fix it. Mm. Burn the Toyota warranty slips and start <laughs> again. The warranty slips. Burn the warranty yeah. slips. Okay. And um, how did you end up getting involved in, in Pizza for Losers? I believe it started out when James Briggs here at Open uh, heard about the event and demanded that we buy all of the pizzas. I don't know where it went to from there. I know that we aren't buying the pizzas and instead we've got this amazing opportunity to uh, sponsor the event and be a massive part of delivering it here in London, which we're really excited about. Delivering um, it, hey, the pizzas. Delivering pizza delivery boy. But no, there will be tons and tons of pizzas supplied by another sponsor, I'm sure. But no, I think we were just obsessed with the idea the minute we heard pizza. I don't think we quite heard losers. I think we just heard pizza. There's a little bit of selective deafness there. <laughs> you were sold immediately. We were immediately yeah. sold. 
so yeah, we're really, really excited to be. And on you board. guys are heavily involved. I think you're playing down your your involvement here. You're hosting oh, the am. evening, and, and obviously you're capturing it for our listeners. So <laughs> yeah, um, looking we'll forward to that. We're going to have a few other openers in the room as well, talking about everything they've ever stuffed up, and yep. um, yeah, inviting people to come and have a chat with open. About it sounds a little bit like it's going to be a failure amnesty. That anything you admit yeah. to on Wednesday, you get away with. Yeah. So. Yeah, we're probably going to get a lot of emails the next morning like, um, yeah, so I admitted this for the podcast or <laughs> I admitted that on stage. Can that not be broadcast? <laughs> <laughs> we'll decide. We'll decide about that. How many, you know, it depends on how many pizzas they send us afterwards. Well, but, um, Talking pizzas, what are your favourites? Meat feast. Meat feast. It's a strong, oh a God, Sorry, Josh. A strong start. I'm literally at the other end of the spectrum. Give me a margarita. Vegan margarita. Margarita yeah. seems to be quite a popular... Looking at the yeah. speakers, Yeah, they've all, they all seem to have gone for margarita. There we go. Yeah. I think oh, they're just trying to option. please the crowd. I think they may, they're maybe playing it safe. Yeah, they're sitting on the fence. You yeah. know what? No, like a, a, a nice and well done margarita. All right. Good stuff. Well, have a really good night. I'm gutted that we can't be there, but I look forward to hearing all about it. No, that's all right. We'll Thank do you. We'll do, do more good justice. Thank you very much. We'll try. Cheers, guys. Hi, it's Alfie. I'm now at The Den, which is the venue for the London edition of Pizza for Losers. And as if I'm one northerner too many for the podcast, I'm also joined by the lovely Nikki Bell. Nikki, how are you? I'm wonderful. I'm very excited for today. So Nervous? thank you for joining. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Definitely. But then there's pizza. And I'm just thinking if anything does go wrong today, it's all in the vibe of the event. Yeah, so on theme. Can, yeah, on exactly. Brand. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's Which already a lot of pizza, actually, talking about on brand. A lot mm. of inflatables there's already in the room. There's enough pizza, though, is there? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I was like, is that too much pizza? Um, but no, the answer is no, you can never have too much pizza. So for anyone who doesn't know, Mm-hmm. Who are you? Where are you from? Who do you work for? And who's here with you today? Okay, yes. Yeah, so I'm Nikki Bell. I'm a fundraising consultant and trainer with Kida Consulting. Mm-hmm. And I work with charities who are looking to move their income to work with people like more individuals, so corporates, regional, community, those sorts of things. And I work with a fabulous team who do trusts and grants and work with charities who may not have the capacity to have an in-house team to do that for them. So that's what we do. We go in and, and support them. And I have Amy and Alex, who I've roped in to uh, helping me today. They're from Kida too. From Kida, yeah. yes. They are inside blowing up pizzas while I'm out here Calling talking to you. Calling in lots of favours. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, so we're here putting this event on today. The first ever pizza. It's the first ever. It is. That was going to be one of my questions. Yes, I feel honoured to be is. here. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. Um, it worked out that way. So we have... Today and then mm-hmm. next Wednesday, the twelfth of June, we have the second pizza for losers in Newcastle. Mm. Um, so we just ended up with so many people that wanted to speak about failure. Uh, we ended up with two events. Yeah. So we're here first. Lots of northerners as well who wanted to get in on the action. Why I imagine. I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you travel down today? No. So um, I actually came in from Austria. Uh, Ooh. Know, <laughs> Exotic. Sorry. Flew in from Austria. <laughs> Um, darling, promise that never happens. So if you would like at next week's Pizza for Losers, uh, you like, where'd you come I from? I got a taxi from home? North London, so you win. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's the idea behind Pizza for Losers? Okay, so I, I mentioned this on an earlier Do More Good podcast um, with Kenneth and James. And originally it was meant to be Pizza for Winners. Basically, I just wanted to put an event on where there was pizza. Yeah. And um, I was speaking with a friend of mine, James Gadsby Pete, and he was like, Do you know what? Like, we're sick of winners. Like, we see and hear all of the sessions where, like, people have done well. And wouldn't it be great to hear from people when it didn't work? And I said, You know what? Pizza for Losers does have a better ring to it. And then that's mm. how we ended up from here. And I'm involved. So I'm on the IOF's National Convention Board. I organized the first two Northeast fundraising conferences and obviously run training sessions for for charities like in the UK and across Europe and it just I kind of felt like it was just all the success stories and I remember from when I was starting out as a fundraiser it's quite daunting to sit in those sessions and think oh well we can never get that because we don't have the budgets we don't have the team and I feel like if we start talking more about that journey and you know the the screw-ups along the way it makes it more achievable for people and they can feel like they can try because if they don't get it right, that's fine. The only failure is if you don't learn from it and you just keep doing it or you don't try. Then. Sounds like a breath of fresh air, to be honest. <laughs> good, good, <laughs> It really good. does. It was just one of those things where like, do you know when you have a, an idea and then you mm. can't 
stop thinking about it and you start to get really excited yeah and uh, you start telling everyone and then you're like i have to do it because yeah. i've told everyone and they'll do it exactly, exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened um so after that meeting with with james uh, i went for an, uh, a, a gin um, with another friend of mine donna we started talking about it more and then i just put the tweet out on the way home and was like look would anyone want to talk about this and like i say the amount of people replying saying yes actually like let's do something mm. different and here we are pizza for losers yeah. part one so what is it that you want people to take away from today Mostly connectivity. And I mean, obviously, the learning from the failure part is, is a big one. Um, mm-hmm. But we all know that we should learn from failure. It's mm-hmm. just like the conversations around it. How do we do it? But what I want for people to actually take away from today is that they have this room of like 80 plus fundraisers who they can connect with, who they know are human just like them. They're going through the same things. And to keep that conversation going you know today is going to be great it's going to be exciting you know we've got all like the pizza stuff we've got great people up there but unless the conversation and the celebration continues like what's the point mm. um so that's what i want them to, to take away and i want them to understand that those people who they perceive to be doing great things and really successful that they also screwed up along the way so it's all right when they do yeah you're bang on the money with at the moment, so much in the sector is about innovation and kind of finding the next big thing and where the future of fundraising is going. Mm. But you don't get there without trying some stuff and messing up first. <laughs> and, yeah, I can see it trickling through this year. So there is a session at convention. Um, I wish I hadn't thought of that. One of the sessions in the community track is from the British Heart Foundation. So we've got Daniel Field come in to talk about a product that didn't work mm-hmm. and why it didn't work and what they learned from it. I think I might have worked on that. Oh. <laughs> is it... Um, the face of fears yes yes yeah. i worked on that do you want to get up and copy. do a session there today? is a very good joke about a pigeon in there though that i made <laughs> do you know what though i don't think the copy was why it failed um or it was the copy and i should have learned something <laughs> then come to the session at iowa yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah i'd love to i'll heckle him oh, it's a bit awkward now. what <laughs> no that. i knew that it oh, bombed no. <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm not a coincidence the, the, the designer that i worked with is gonna love this <laughs> Oh, God. Um, in the spirit of the event, is there a failure that you would like to share with everybody? Oh, indeed. Um, I mean, there's many. And this is one that I'll, I'll probably open up with. So I was involved with fundraising from the outside. So I was part of a CS team for, for Tesco Bank. And started, like, doing the fundraising thing. Do you know where you do a trek and you get, like, your friends and family to give money? Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm good at this. Like, I can do this. Like, this is my calling. And a friend of mine let me know about a job that came up at the local hospice it was hers she was going traveling and I thought yeah I can walk this like I've been doing it for ages it's fine and I did the interview and it like it was the worst interview ever I sat down while I gave the presentation I forgot like the woman's name but I learned from that Mm. and I went back the next time that they advertised the role and I thought yes this time no Um, (laughs) and basically long story short it took me four like attempts to get into the sector it's like britain's got talent it was awful (laughs) it was brutal but like i knew it was where i wanted to be and after that first one i was actually after the second one um i was i was ready to give up because the feedback Mm. was like you don't have the experience and i just thought well like i've been doing all of this stuff like i know how it works and i just thought right i'm just going to volunteer and and find out and, and get that experience and once i actually started working more closely with the charity I realized that, yeah, fundraising isn't as, as easy as it looks. Mm. Uh, there's all of this internal stuff that, that's going on. And from that part, they're just giving just a, something extra back um, and building those relationships was more beneficial to me throughout my whole like nine-year fundraising career than it would have been if I'd just got the job mm. in the first instance and, and winged it. You know, I'm a loser in my, in my, in my personal life as well, but <laughs> we haven't got enough time in the podcast to go into that. But yeah, the, I mean, that's, that's probably the one that sticks out the most and it's the easiest to uh, people to kind of see themselves in because, I mean, we've all been in an interview where you've thought, yeah, this isn't going Oh, great. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, we're pretty much about to start aren't we so i won't keep you too much longer okay one last very important question favorite pizza margarita it's great but thank you so much for stepping in um, and being guest host because i really um wanted this to happen Mm. and i know you're gonna be awesome josh (laughs) has said loads of lush things about you but yes so enjoy pizza thank you for having me and good luck enjoy thanks sounds like it's gonna be an amazing event cheers Share, and that's just mine. So hi, everyone. 
My name is Nikki Bell. I'm a fundraising trainer and consultant with Eda Consulting, and I am a massive loser. And this isn't just my questionable taste in music or my daily addiction to watching Frasier, um, but I fail at work too. But I fail because I try, and because of that, I am proud. And we're going to start that conversation today and the celebration of being a loser. Because actually, everyone in this room today, all of our speakers are winners. And before I hand over to Josh, who's going to be looking after us today, a big thank you to our venue sponsors, Charity People, for the lovely digs. A massive thank you to Agents of Good, who are feeding us pizza all the way from Toronto. Uh, Third Sector Protect, who have uh, developed our programmes for us today. And of course, the wonderful Open, who are running the Do More Go To podcast today. Guest host, that's Alfie. And he's going to be grabbing some of you for a chat today. Um, and Josh Lee, who is going to be our compare. And I will hand over to Josh now. Good day, today, welcome. Hello, everyone. Never seen a bigger bunch of losers in my life. <laughs> Kicking things off today is one of the sector's biggest losers, Henry Golding. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, give him a round of applause. Lovely to see all of you guys here today. My name's Henry Rowling, and today I'm going to talk about why failure is absolutely essential and part of any growth strategy. Um, so, why, why the hell are we all here talking about failure? It's a bit of a weird thing to do. So, when we launched Flying Cars in January, uh, Anne and I were really interested in why there was such a problem with talking about failure. Why didn't everyone want to talk about it? So, I did what everyone does launched a highly forensic, scientific, statistically valid Twitter poll. Um, so these are extremely robust uh, results, and thank you to the 16 people that actually <laughs> And so the main reasons that people uh, in this highly forensic poll don't want to talk about failure is they're scared of looking inept. So they're worried about, uh, with their uh, peers, looking like they don't know what they're doing. And there was also an interesting finding as well around a waste of donor money. So people are concerned about uh, looking like they're wasting money, uh, which is totally understandable. Um, but events like this will help us to normalise talking about failure. And when we talk about the things that haven't worked, then we can learn from those. And if we don't talk about them, then any kind of learning is essentially buried, which is a bad thing. So at Flying Cars, we sat down and thought about what are the conditions that you need to have a healthy environment that allows people fail and then succeed afterwards and we thought that there were probably two areas that you need to think about so organizational conditions the organization you work for needs to provide the time and space for you to not get everything right and that's a kind of leadership type um, challenge so providing that time and space if there's no time and space for you to fail you're just going to maximize what you can what you do and a lot of organizations work on this maximizing business as usual there's no space to fail you need the permission, so if your managers and uh, if your line manager doesn't want you to talk about failure, that's not going to get too far, so you need the permission. And again, permission comes from the top, the very top in most instances, and you do need some budget as well. So that doesn't have to be a massive budget, but it needs to be the opportunity for you to try some stuff that doesn't necessarily bring in as much money as your tried and tested uh, methods. And then there are some personal attributes that you need uh, as well. And you need to find these from within yourself. So things like resilience. If you're not resilient, and if you kind of take the knockbacks really personally to heart and don't bounce back, then you're not going to be able to try new things and succeed in that way. And persistence. So when you're um, trying new things, people aren't always entirely, um, they're not always receptive straight away. And therefore you need to sort of persist and knock down the doors in that way. You also need the courage to be vulnerable. So some of the kind of, if you listen to founders' stories, often the ideas they're coming up with are pretty weird, and people will say, your idea is crap, it will never work. So that sort of courage to be vulnerable is really important, as is a certain level of curiosity. So if you're a curious person and you want to solve problems in different ways, that will help you in terms of innovation, and failure will help you realise what kind of path to go on. So, um, does anyone know who either of those two women are? Correct, yeah, brilliant. So it's Catherine Johnson and Margaret Hamilton, and they were both uh, leading NASA <coughs> scientists who played key roles in early days spaceflight. So, um, and they were essentially um, 
incredibly good, amazing at maths, and Catherine Johnson calculated the exact traje trajectory that the Apollo flights needed to um, uh, make in order to land uh, back on, on Earth. Um, Margaret Hamilton, um, her story is also fascinating. So she's the lady on the left. Um, so she actually coined the phrase software engineering. So she was a software um, engineer in the mid-60s. It was quite unusual for a woman to be working in this department in NASA at the time. Um, she also had a young daughter. So she had a four-year-old daughter. And occasionally, she's married, got a daughter. Occasionally, their childcare didn't work out. So Catherine occasionally had to bring her daughter, Lauren, into the office. Um, so um, quite groundbreaking. They ended up developing software that was integral to um, the Apollo flights being able to land and function. So one day, uh, Catherine had to bring Lauren into the office. And um, as children tend to do, they're basically banging on the keyboard, making things break, playing the phones. So she launched this program called P01, uh, which essentially ruined the entire flight simulator. And uh, Margaret Hamilton thought this was highly significant. She was worried about this, this flaw in the software. So she spoke to other people at NASA and said, this is quite a big problem, guys. Um, the middle management didn't think it was a problem. They said, we train our astronauts to be perfect. No one will ever do this. Our astronauts are brilliant. No one's going to launch P01. I'm sure you can see where this is going. Um, so she was like, okay, I think it is a pretty big problem. So she uh, did some documentation around it. And made in the documentation, she told the astronauts they don't launch P01 during your flight. Um, anyway, skip forward. The flight is in. Uh, I think they were four days into. They were four days into the voyage, and one of the astronauts launched PO1. So this basically wiped all of the flight data off their computer systems, and meant that they would not be able to land uh, the flight uh, back on Earth. So the team, they were aware of this as an issue. The team worked for like uh, three days solid and managed to come up with a fix for it, which meant that. They were able to re-upload all of the flight data onto the, um, onto the mission, and they could actually land. So it, it ended with a successful mission. However, the kind of, it's such a fascinating story. So the sort of elements to take out of that are the benefits of having a kind of diverse workplace. So if Lauren hadn't have been in that office messing around with the simulator, they wouldn't have known that this floor existed, and they wouldn't have been able to react in such a good way when it happened in a live environment. And the persistence to actually say, no, this is an issue, I am going to do something about it. And when you kind of launch new ideas or pushing through at work, you will get pushback. And that kind of persistence to say, no, this is an issue, I am going to do something about it. So I love that story. Um, there's a lot more to it, I had to cut it down for the, for the point of this. Um, so yeah, no, fantastic, fantastically interesting story. My kind of final thoughts, because I'm getting the one minute uh, reminder. Uh, failure is an absolutely crucial part of success, and you absolutely cannot succeed with it. It's on the path to success. To innovate and progress, you need uh, resilience, persistence, courage, and that sort of curiosity. You, you guys, need to help your organisation build the right culture and work to up the controlled risk appetite. So that's the kind of stuff you need to do. Be aware that absolutely everyone has failed, and the more we talk about it, the more that we realise it. So I stand by this is definitely true. Talking about failure will save your organisation money because your other departments won't make that same failure. Thank you very much. <laughs>
I almost had a song out with Robbie Williams. We recorded it. It was called April Falls, and then the <coughs> record label didn't like it. I tried to become a model, and um, I was a little bit too fat for that, so <laughs> that didn't work out. Um, so various things along the way. Um, so I feel like I'm pretty experienced to talk to you about failure. The other big thing is that failure happens to all of us, as you've noticed, Henry, and failure happens to good people. It doesn't discriminate. You know, it's like bad lighting or um, <laughs> Brexit or the flu. And it just turns out I do have something in common with the evening because I was the CEO of Domino's on an advert. And this, is <laughs> <laughs> this is a very strange coincidence. Um, I finally got the big record deal and it was with Warner Records. They gave me a shitload of money, which I spent very quickly. And <laughs> my parents are really, really upset with me about that, actually, because my dad's an accountant. That's an aside. Anyway, so this was my first single, and it was called Addicted, as you can see. Um, and the reference in the song was, um, I'm addicted to Chunky Monkey. Now, does anyone like ice cream? Do you know Chunky Monkey's a flavour of Ben & Jerry's, right? However, I was booked to go on the Lorraine show... Uh, to perform said track, Addicted, and um, she thought Chunky Monkey was a drugs reference. <laughs> and I was the Pablo Escobar of pop or something, I don't know. So, um, uh, my massive appearance on national television was pulled the night before I was due to go on. And then unfortunately, in a Domino's effect, I didn't make the Radio 1 playlist. Now, if you work in, uh, if you're in the music business, getting... Um, your track on the Radio 1 playlist is the be-all and end-all. If you don't make that playlist, the record label absolutely, you know, shit themselves. And that's it. It's game over. And it's a very difficult situation because you're not in control of your career anymore and somebody else is, just one person. So there's a big lesson to be learned from that, definitely, about, um, you know, pinning all your hopes on one person's approval. Eventually... I did get dropped again, unfortunately. And that was kind of crushing because... The hardest thing for me has always been, it's not about being famous, it's about being heard, which I think a lot of us, you know, you know, we want to be heard and we want, we want to be our, our um, attempts to be recognised and um, to be respected, really. And that was hard because I never got the chance to get my record out there. Then I got ill and I thought, fuck this, I'm so embarrassed about being called Alexis Strum, I'm literally dying. I'd read pop music forums and they were so vicious about me, it was awful. So I changed my name to Bo Pepper, and I became a sock puppet. And this is true. Um, I put out music on MySpace, which was the vehicle at the time, and um, I managed to get it on Radio 1, which is kind of ironic, yeah. And I got it on Radio 2, and it, and it was starting to build, but I realised I'd kind of fallen out of love with music. So at that point, I just I needed to get out of it and do something else. So, I did, but first of all, I did manage to get in Smash Hits poster magazine edition <laughs> next to someone from Blazing Squad and someone from Atomic Kitten. Great name it. What an did a bit of screenwriting, um, I wrote a couple of plays, uh, tried all these various things. Anyways, still didn't quite work out. And how the heck is any of this relevant to you guys? Well, the thing is... I then flipped it all on its head. I was staying at my mum and dad's for a bit. I think, I think this was before my marriage ended. And I found this sort of like treasure trove of all of my failures. And it was rejection letters, um, all my old LPs and uh, modelling pictures, which were awful. And, um, and I realised that I never tell anyone about all of these things. So I saw all this stuff, all these letters and everything, and I thought, oh my God, I have to do something with this. And it became very, very clear to me that if I would start writing about it in all of my failures, that would be my way to connect with people on another level I'd never imagined. So I started writing, and it became the time I almost... It was the time I almost became a pop star, the time I almost became a spy, a supermodel, all of these things. And I finished the book, which was great. That's an achievement in itself. And then um, I thought, you know what, I'm going to try and run this as a night and just like build it and see if they'll come. And they did. And the most amazing thing that happened was people came along to the night and came up on stage and told their stories of all their sliding doors moments. And there was closure in the room. And it felt amazing. I realised I'd made something quite wonderful out of all of this failure and shit. 
So is my story about failure, is it actually about perseverance? It depends on how you see the glass. I'm much more of a, a glass half full person now, I think. And, um, you know, if you can flip your story, own your failures, that's no bad thing. We're, like, you know, it's really hard coming up here and telling you I've failed. It's embarrassing for me. It's embarrassing for all of us. Believe me, we've just been talking about it prior to coming up in front of you. But I'm in a happy place now. You know, I get to share stories with people. I get some fab comedians come along, talk about times I've done really stupid things, and, and it's great, and I can see a future in it. And actually, you know, I'll do a podcast. Who knows what will come of it? Um, certainly not the Radio 1 fucking playlist. But, um, <laughs> um, if you ever want to think of, like, think that you're complete failure, try and picture me going up to collect the award for songwriting from Annie Lennox and realising she hadn't actually called out my name. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll leave you with that picture. <laughs> Thank you very much. Of an inflatable slice of pizza as well. You've done well, pizza. <laughs> uh, so, next up is Shanali Devereaux, everybody. Uh, <laughs> so, Shanali's going to show us how, not, how to genuinely not feel afraid of failure. She says, no more fake it till you make it. So, over to Shanali. highlight the name thing so please do <laughs> I'm really really toying with having a new name it's very difficult I went into the bank the other day and they said you have to sign in your new signature so I had to make it up on the spot and if that isn't involved I don't know what is um, anyway so everyone my name is Shanali Devereaux I'm trying to learn how to say that and I am a failure fear of course is completely normal it's a completely normal thing when you set out to do something you love your work your hobbies your relationships Fear is an integral part of feeling that you can move forward with those, learning. You need things to scare you from time to time. But how do you stop those fears from overwhelming you into paralysis? And that paralysis stopping you from achieving and doing what you need to do. Now, when I say avoiding failure keeps you stuck in your everyone goes, oh, that sounds completely obvious, not of course it does. But uh, has anyone at work felt that they've not been allowed to fail? Has anyone felt unappreciated for their results at work? Put some effort into something and you haven't. Anyone heard of Carol Dweck? Brilliant. Brilliant. And I'm glad you haven't actually, because it gives me uh, an opportunity to tell a story about her. Carol uh, is a woman who is a psychologist who did a lot of work with children in schools. And she's come up with this theory about fixed and growth mindset. And uh, the way she did it was she took a bunch of children within a classroom and she gave them all a task, but not before she split them into two groups. So group A, group B, and she gave them the same unchallenging task. And she, uh, they all achieved it and they came back to her and she said to group A, oh, well done, you achieved the task. You must have worked really hard. And they all went, oh, yes, yes, we worked really hard. That was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she said to the second group, oh, you achieved the task. You must be really clever. And they went, oh, yes, 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 we're really clever. We, we achieved the task. <coughs> so then she asked them to choose their next task. And all the people who had been told they worked really hard chose a really challenging task because they wanted to be told they'd worked really hard again. And all the people who'd been told they're really clever chose a much easier task, because they didn't want to be told that they weren't clever. And so she's come up with this theorem about fixed and growth mindset. Well, what has this got to do with uh, failure? Well, this is to do with perception of failure for me. You can either see failure as a limit of your abilities. You can go, oh, this is about me. I'm good at it or I'm not. I don't want to be challenged. I'm going to stay in inaction. I'm not going to do anything about it. Or you can look at failure as an opportunity to grow. You can say, oh, I'm learning something from this. Feedback's constructive. I want to try new things. And that's what I think is really, really important about this. So what did I learn? Those two things. Avoiding failure keeps you stuck where you are. Failure hurts when you make it personal. And so my solution to this is don't make it personal. 
Build resilience. It's that idea that if you have resilience to failure because you don't take it personally, which is really, really hard to do at work when you know you've worked on something for weeks and weeks and weeks and someone goes, oh, don't like it. And you're like, okay. Failure is, is learning from that failure is a, the ability to turn around and say, well, okay, what's wrong with it? What can I do? How do I make this better? Building resilience and saying this isn't about me. Which brings me on to improv. It's all very well me saying, have resilience, learn resilience, and everyone goes, well, how do we do that? And I, uh, I came to improv at a brilliant space in my life where I'd broken up from a long-term relationship. And uh, I was just in this mindset where I was saying yes to everything. I was saying yes to this new opportunity, yes to this new job. I went into a pub and there was a leaflet for improv, and I just said, yeah, that sounds really scary, I'm gonna do that. And, uh, and it was really scary, but improv is about creating a safe space and saying that everything that happens within the space in which we're operating today, have no fear of failure, everything's valid, everybody's contribution is valid, you come to this space knowing everything that you need to know and there is no such thing as failure within this place. And then you're left to act through playing games, they're called games, I like to call them exercises because when you call them games in a work environment everyone goes, oh we're playing games at work. Um, but uh, you do exercises and it brings out your imagination and what it does is it takes you out of your comfort zone and puts you firmly in your stretch zone where you start to stretch and explore your ideas and you go, Ooh, I quite like that, I quite like what I'm exploring, I didn't know I could do that. And then what happens is when you come back, your comfort zones become a bit more elastic and it's wider than it was and it allows you to feel gradually less fearful of failure. Because of course it's outside your comfort zone where the magic happens. And trust me, when you've tasted that magic, you just want to see more and more of it. So, I'm Shanali, I'm a failaholic, and I hope I'm converting you to failaholics too. <laughs> Many thanks. Uh, the next speaker needs no introduction, but he sent a truly ridiculous bio through, so I have to read it. Almost against my will. <laughs> After fannying around at art school for too long, Wayne Murray stumbled blindly into fundraising and communications last century sometime. Despite his best efforts, he's still there today. Uh, half his career has been charity side and half agency. He's held senior positions at the likes of Amnesty, Refugee Action and Prisoners Abroad. He's also a trustee and leadership mentor. He now heads up strategy and innovation, strategy and innovation at Audience, and is currently busy being shouty to boards and senior leaders, in the hope that they'll rip up the rulebook and do everything differently. He once even wrote an organisational strategy that was one word long. That word was merge. You'll <laughs> <laughs> be pleased to know he didn't charge for that. Uh, and Wayne is going to share the sort of tale of how he stumbled into a new role, confidently went about ignoring analysis insight values and the blatantly obvious to deliver a real stinker of a Christmas appeal. <laughs> no refunds. Hey, here I am, Wayne Murray. Um, so, yeah, I'm Wayne. Um, as was said in that brilliantly eloquent bio, I spent half my career charity side and half agency side, and both sides of those fences um, I've been a massive loser, uh, not just because I look like a character from The Simpsons, but because I've cocked up at practically every job that I've ever had. What is my session about? Um, this is about a turning point in my career when I started to really accept um, failure. Uh, and more importantly, it's kind of learning from failure, which we're talking about a lot today, do you know what I mean? And kind of how that transforms you as an individual. Um, so, picture the scene. This cock-up takes place in 2002. So, 2002, iPods. Uh, uh, ben Affleck was crowned the sexiest man on the planet. Um, first camera with a phone, uh, though I didn't even have a, a mobile phone in 2002. Um, Nickelback. <laughs> about that. Um, so, 2002 was like the glory days of direct mail. You know, the massive big programs kicking out 
the most amount of money, but it was it was also the, the time of the rise of direct dialogue, you know, face-to-face, door-to-door, uh, and telephone was, was just taking off. And I started my career um, as a face-to-face and telephone fundraiser. Anyone here from the direct dialogue background? Yes. Um, and I'd made the decision to make a jump from being a direct dialogue fundraiser to working for a charity for the first time. So I got my first head of individual giving role, um, which I was really excited about. Um, and it was for an organisation that had a really well-established DM programme. Um, but it had started to decline. There had been zero turnover in staff. Um, there was a big job to do. And Boss said, director of fundraising, was a brilliant programme. So again, you know, it's completely down to you. Um, so he basically said to me, just sort out the IG programme, um, do whatever you need, speak soon, that sort of thing. Um, uh, I went in there and I tried to change absolutely everything. Um, this was my time to shine, um, to prove myself, um, to get out of that direct dialogue bubble. Um, and I needed to get the direct mail skills that I'd blagged at interview, um, that I actually had, um, and, and get, the, get, get them in place. So my, my idea was that I was going to turn the program on its head and create something new and awesome, and it was a really great opportunity. So this is income from the warm mail plan over nine years. Um, we all have a chart, don't we? So where did I take over? <laughs> I took over here. <laughs> you can see, I think you can see what's coming here, can't you? Um, the income starting to go down. That's what the, the trustees were really worried about, that dip. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, quite, a, I'm really going to milk this one, you know, really quite drastic plateau going on there. Um, so I took over the programme. That was my first year. So what happened? First of all, I really hated direct mail. Um, that was really at the heart of it. Funny is that now I've spent a good part of my career working in, in direct mail and I absolutely love it. But these were the glory days of direct mail, and I was a direct dialogue fundraiser. And back in those days, if you were a face-to-face fundraiser, you were like a pirate. It was, it was crazy. Direct dialogue is, is magic. Um, I always say to people that, you know, one minute you're, you're going out to Boots to get a three-pound meal deal, and then you've been turned into a human rights defender. You know, or, you know, one minute you're sitting at home um, watching Countdown eating a custard cream, the next minute you're signing up to say cancer. You know, it's like, it's an amazing thing. It's still, still in my blood, um, but I really didn't give the channel um, the respect it deserved. And after this debacle, which we will unpick, um, I became a, a media-neutral fundraiser. You know, there's no such thing as a bad channel, um, just channels that are used badly, apart from QR codes. They're shit. <laughs> 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 um, what else did I do? Um, I sat in the agency, not the agency that had done the awful work, the agency that was in place when I first joined. Um, you know, as every young, plucky fundraiser um, knows, you, you don't want an agency in there, it knows more than you do. Crikey, why would you want that? You know, um, you want to get in a shiny new agency, you want to get a shiny new agency that agrees with every fucking daft decision that you come up with because they want the work. Um, so that's what I do. What else did I do? Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, big on this. Um, looking back, I paid absolutely no attention to who the audience was. You know, this is the warm programme after all. Uh, the messaging and the tone was built purely on how I'd spoken about disability issues on the street, which was really angry and campaigning. Um, audience didn't like that at all. Um, you know, everything that we put into those appeals, or I put into those appeals, um, it was about anger and outrage, it was really preachy, it was really campaigny, um, and our warm audience were ABC One, um, 80% female over the age of 75. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not what else did I do? Sod the past. This is, the, I suppose, the biggest one, really. I ignored absolutely everything that had gone on before in the charity. <coughs> I was so keen, even at that stage of my career, to disrupt things and to change things that I was disrupting in a complete vacuum. You know, how can you possibly strategically move to a new place if you don't know what's happened before? Um, so that was 
Sword compassion. There was no compassion in anything that I was doing. And if you read any of the DM appeals, which I still have in a box at home, um, I get out drunkenly, <laughs> cry and drink warm chardonnay from the chipmunk on the um, bathroom floor. Um, what, what, what you'll see throughout this Anna's Horribus, um, the appeals, they, they genuinely read like someone's having a go at you. Um, it's like, they're like, this wasn't a fundraiser, and this was like debt collection. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was, that, that was nice. There was no com compassion, there was little empathy, there was little humanity, but there was lots of, rah! which um, didn't really raise that much money. Yeah. Now we get down to it. My annual review. Um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't the greatest day of my life. Um, I think there was a whole gamut of every human emotion um, from my boss as we went through exactly what had happened over the course of the year. Um, anger, bewilderment, despair, panic, terror, all within 30, 30 seconds of, uh, of, of opening. Um, that was a gin night for me. <laughs> so, but, you know, we're at the halfway point now. We're at our absolute lowest, so things can only get better now. Obviously. So it's time to pick up the pieces, really. Um, and look, looking back at this whole story, this is the first time that I'm really proud of 27-year-old um, Wayne Murray. Um, I didn't run away. Uh, most fundraisers would, um, you know, get out, start again, and bury this in my CV. I didn't do that at all. Um, I started to sort of change my ways. Um, so whilst everything had not been going right, not everything's been going wrong either. So, you know, I, I learned that what the program needed was to be optimized as we sort of pay and strip back whilst we paved the way for a new future. Rather than changing things for the sake of it, this was the first time in my career, and what's kind of defined my career going forward is that I started to think strategically for the first time. Um, you know, what does the future look like? What exactly is going on externally that's making this happen? Um, where do we need to get to? Uh, what's the roadmap for how we get from where we are now to where we need to be? Um, teamwork sounds sounds simple, but you know, there's a really cheesy phrase that says that culture eats strategy for breakfast, and it's true. And there's no point creating a strategy that just stays in in, in the boardroom. So I spent a huge amount of time building strategy with the team, like together from the bottom up, which is the only way that actually effectively build strategy uh, and get the culture right. Um, so it's all about buy-in, it's all about getting people excited, it's all about making people feel that they're part of it as well, rather than being done to them, which um, uh, a lot of people feel. And then moving on from that, you know, transformational change, it, it doesn't happen overnight. And it's not a linear path either, you know, a lot of strategy and, and roadmaps that we're developing at the moment are very long and winding roads and, you know, you need testing matrices, milestones, KPIs, all those basics. So, have a look. Hello. Do you want to see when I left? I left here. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as you can see, not too different to where I found it, but in a slightly, <laughs> slightly better place. But that was a long and winding road. You know, I demolished the entire IG strategy, and it took three years to get it back to where it um, needed to be. So, um, so it works. And you know, vision, strategy, teamwork, roadmap. Um, it wasn't easy, but I did find a new way of working, and it was a strategic focus. Um, wouldn't be me if I didn't talk about disruption, but you know, dis disruption is really necessary. Like, look at the landscape now, as I was saying. If you're not, if you're not disrupting things, if you're not changing things, and if you're not realising that the model is broken, then you will be really, really soon. And if ever there was a need for disruption, bravery, and real strategy, um, it's now it's so disruption is necessary. But being a pig-headed, stubborn, ill-informed Egypt who wants to change things for no other reason than the fact that he thinks it's cool but has no clear structure or purpose is not necessary. So, <laughs> I learned from my mistakes. Thanks very much. <laughs>
huge round of applause for Nikki and for Peter Consulting. This was a tremendous event. <laughs> that I think we all need to talk about much, much more often, and you've just given us that opportunity and you've smashed it. Plus, there was amazing pizza, so thank you so much. In the end. <laughs> <laughs> I do just want to say a huge thank you to each and every one of you. What you did today um, wasn't easy, and you all nailed it. There was just so much honesty, a, a lot of honesty, which uh, we all appreciate. And um, one of the big things that we've took out of this is connection. Uh, so like Wayne said, you know, failure can feel lonely, and it shouldn't be, because if we look around the room, we've got all of these people that are in the same boat, uh, that want to continue that conversation, so please, please do. Uh, Nikita Consultant, you know, we want to help you through to your successes as well, so please come and chat with us, and we will happily keep this conversation going. Uh, we'll see you again very soon. <laughs>
be able to be so vulnerable and, and share something that a lot of people, I think, are quite afraid to speak about. Mm. And, and it really highlighted what Shamali, who spoke afterwards, went on to say, that just how personal we take failure and how personal yeah. failure can be. And mm. um, yeah, so yeah, I think she did an amazing job and I think she was very brave. I went over to her and I was like, I'm so proud. It's a really brave thing for her to do, I can imagine. Yeah, so. it was very brave. It was really brave. Yeah, really mm. interesting. Mm. And how are you finding the other speakers and the rest of the event? Yeah, I was literally just saying on Twitter just a second ago that... I'm so surprised at how deep it's gone. I know, right? Like it's, it's proper deep. Yeah, really um, deep. I think you expect to come to these events sometimes and everyone to talk quite surface level because mm. everyone's quite scared to fail or yeah. scared to talk about things that might make them feel uneasy. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really, really kind of um, revolutionary, I guess, in the sense um, mm. to kind of have people be so open, especially in our sector, I think. It's so easy to think about failure in numbers, especially within our sector where... Yeah fundraising is about the numbers mm. so it's really difficult that if you like to actually focus on the fact that actually it's also a feeling yeah. failure isn't just about a literal failure on a piece of paper where i have not achieved x mm. it's actually what feeling does that evoke and i think that really came out today in the speakers so i've been told i have to ask everybody yes favorite type of pizza Oh, I'm really classic. Oh, I just like a pepper- No, well. just like a pepperoni. Oh, okay. yeah. um, but yeah, an American, not an American hot, no spice. No, no, no. Thank you so much. Thanks. So would you like to start by introducing yourself and where you work? Yeah, sure. So my name's Katie and I am the Legacy and the Memory Manager at St. Mungo's, uh, which is a homelessness charity. Uh, how did you find out about them then? Uh, so my manager actually shared it around the team and yeah. she thought it would be a really good idea that we all go. So actually I'm here with like the whole individual giving team. How are you finding it so far? Yeah, really good. Just like a really interesting spin on like people's experiences in the sector. Um, and yeah, just normalizing failure. I think it is really important. It's something that I don't think about. Yeah. I can think about some of my experiences and feeling really anxious about having to tell my manager if I failed. What's your favorite type of pizza? <laughs> So I love veggie, veggie supreme. Get your nice. peppers, your onion, and some sweet corn, and I'm happy. Good choice. <laughs> Everyone else has said margarita, so boring. Oh, yeah. Lame. Spice anyway, thank you so much for speaking thank to me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, uh, now that the event is over, all wrapped up, near enough, uh, how do you guys feel about how it's gone? Happily knackered. It was really good today. I loved hearing everyone's honesty, all of their stories, but um, mostly I've just loved everyone leaving and just saying individually how much they've took from it, sharing their own little experiences on the way out and how they're going to make a positive difference in their work going forward. So, yeah, it's been really good. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really nice to hear about, like, obviously the speaker's failures and they're really brave and open telling us about them. I think it kind of challenges us to be a lot more open about when we fail. And also, like, you can tell that that's really resonated with all of, like, the people who have attended today because they're getting involved, writing every, all their failures on the board. And it's been really like, honest and open, yeah. I actually realised when I was sitting there more failures that I hadn't actually realised that... I, yeah, was, was that the same? Yeah. I am. I was sitting there and I was like, oh God, yeah, like I made that decision because I was scared of failure and I didn't even realise it. So now like my brain is whirring and I'm just thinking about those things. So yeah, even I've learned from this and took loads of stuff away. It's been really good. It's been really, really entertaining. I know you've got one more of these. Do you reckon there'll be more? I hope so. There's definitely an appetite for it, excuse the pun. Um, <laughs> and we have been asked to tour it as well. So I think after this, um, obviously, we're going to nail Newcastle. Um, that's going to be awesome. We've actually had some of the speakers from today asked to come up and speak at Newcastle, which is awesome. So we'll see what we can do. Um, and then we're going to sit down and have like a proper talk about it of how we can move this forward and keep the conversation going. That's the, the main thing. But no, it's been awesome. And thank you um, to all of the sponsors. Uh, I failed to say this right at the end. I know I did say it throughout. Um, but the pizza sponsors, Agents of Good, uh, venue sponsors, charity people, program sponsors, Third Sector Protect. And of course, the wonderful speaker sponsors, Open, who have been an absolute lifesaver today. So you and Josh, especially, I was just saying uh, to one of your colleagues, that I would have paid you to be here because <laughs> I literally like, couldn't have done it without any of you in the Kida team. So thank you so much. Thank you.
you. It's been absolutely brilliant. Yay! Peter! Yay, Peter! (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, that's it from me. Uh, James and Kenneth, thank you so much for letting me guest host this episode uh, and for sending me to speak to so many losers. I'm now off to get a slice of pizza and a pint of wine because, honestly, being in charge of two very expensive microphones is exhausting. Bye! So, James, just wrapped up another fantastic episode, if I don't say so myself. How did you find it? It's all right, wasn't it? (laughs) If anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing, where can they find us? Well, we're on Twitter, Kenneth. At Do More Good Pod. Instagram. At Do More Good Pod. Have we gone multi channel and even gone to YouTube? We have, but you can find all those videos on the website domoregood.uk. And if you want to contact us by email, please use contact at domoregood.uk. 